So if you start with the mindset of radical generosity, how do you implement that in the world? And that's really about shifting from these individual goals to instead aligning as a couple where you get clear on your values. What does success mean for us? And then experiencing that as a joint win. So you win together rather than just as individuals. That success is really shared. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 36 of Be More Well. My guests today are Nate and Kaylee Klemp, and we're going to be talking about a new perspective on relationships and radical generosity. But first, Be More Well is a wellness-focused podcast hosted by me, Jeff St. Pierre. Now, what do I know about wellness? Almost nothing. But that's exactly why I started this podcast. I wanted to talk to people from all across the wellness spectrum. Doctors, athletes, musicians, moms, dads, everybody who's got a story to tell about how they've found mindfulness and wellness in their life. Now, ultimately, my goal here is to provide you with some information and inspiration that will help you be happier, be healthier, be less stressed, be more mindful. I just want you all to be more well. So how does it work in your house with your partner? Do you share the chores and different duties? Do you have an even 50-50 split? Do you have a chore wheel? I've often thought about creating one of those, but I kind of feel like as an adult, that would be weird. And, and I also know that I'll always get stuck with the things that I don't want to do. So yeah, chore wheel is out. In most households now, partners tend to lean towards this 50-50 model of marriage. Now, how does it work for you? Do you enjoy it? I'll bet there's a lot of times when you feel like you've done a ton of work while your partner maybe isn't holding up their end of the bargain. That doesn't feel good. I've been there. There are days when I feel like all I do is chores, but I don't necessarily see my wife doing the same thing. Now, let me be clear. She does her fair share. That is for sure. But it's inevitable that you'll feel like you're doing everything from time to time. Fairness. It's a very interesting term, and it's very subjective. What's fair to me might not be fair to my wife or to someone else. It's a noble aspiration to want to make things fair, but it's just so hard to figure out what that means. Also, what happens here is that fairness or the 50-50 model doesn't encourage us to work together. It more so pits us against each other. The common goal in a marriage should be success, love, and happiness, but instead, in this 50-50 model, we get too hung up on, did my partner do as many chores as I did today? Or did my partner have more free time than I did? Did they get to watch more of their show on Netflix than I did? It's not a really healthy way to look at things, right? So maybe it's time to change things up. Instead of 50-50, why not try 80-80? Okay, I know your brain is probably going on fire right now because that doesn't add up to 100, but it's a new model for marriage that puts the focus on radical generosity as opposed to fairness. This idea was developed by Nate and Kaylee Klemp. They've written the book, The 80-80 Marriage, A New Model for a Happier, Stronger Relationship. Now I'm gonna put it very simply. The basic mindset for this model is when you win, I win. Shared success. So in the 50-50 model, we strive for doing just enough to be equal or our fair share. In the 80-80 model, the idea is radical generosity. Each partner pushes to do 80%. In the book, Nate and Kaylee use an example of a man they interviewed saying that he and his partner don't think in terms of fairness anymore. Instead, they're both bending over backward to be contributors and to help each other out. Now, Nate and Kaylee are going to be able to explain it better than I can, and they do a great job in this conversation. I'll tell you kind of a funny story, though, since this is an audio podcast and you can't see what was going on behind the scenes. I was so excited for this interview. I've been reading the book, really enjoying what they had to say. So I sat down, started to connect all my computer and my microphone, et cetera, to get ready for the conversation. 
And that's when my daughter started to get a little bit crazy. My wife, she's a teacher. She's still teaching from home, so she really couldn't help. She had a class about to start. So I, I just grabbed my daughter, strapped her into my chest in a carrier, and crossed my fingers and hoped for the best. Thankfully, she went to sleep pretty quick. But the first thing Nate and Kaylee saw when we connected via Zoom was me sitting there with a baby right there on my chest. Uh, ironically, it was kind of the best possible way to start a conversation for a topic like this, so it worked out pretty well. Now, before I give you the conversation, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to Be More Well on whatever platform you're listening on right now. That way you'll be notified of all the new episodes that come down the line. I'd also love it if you would rate and review the show so the podcast powers that be know how we're doing. You can find us on Instagram at Be More Well Podcast. I try to put some inspirational content there as well. Also, if you're thinking about trying to reach out to me, uh, Instagram is the best way to do it. Again, at Be More Well Podcast. Shoot me a DM on Instagram. You got any questions, comments, or suggestions for future guests? That's a big one for me. I'm all ears. I love to hear what you guys are excited to learn more about because Be More Well is a project that I selfishly started for myself to educate myself. So I'd love to bring on guests for topics that you want to learn more about as well. Hey, guys. Hey. I love that. Oh, my gosh. This is my favorite. We have not had an interview with a baby strapped to the... And the Moby was my favorite way to carry our daughter. I love that. This is not how I intended uh, to do this today, but uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm doing interviews, and my wife is a teacher, still teaching from home, and just turns out she's got a very important class going on right now. So, baby's on my duty today. <laughs> well, we Jeff, one of our one of our favorite moments was when I was a professor, and she had this other work gig. Our nanny bailed on us. I went in to give a midterm with the baby Bjorn. And the baby delivered like at work. Everybody's like, Basically, what HR did not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they were gonna exactly. Do. So we have totally been there in exactly yes. that position. Yeah. I figured of all interviews, this is the one where it's not going to be a problem. So yeah, all as well. All good, unless she decides it's going to be a problem. In which case, all bets are off. I suppose exactly. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> but it is kind of a, an interesting segue because I, I want to set a scene for you. I, I found myself laughing as I opened up your book and started to dive into it the other day because as you have become a new parent, my wife and I have had this child for about nine weeks now. I sat down with the book and I opened it up and my wife looks at me and goes, oh, you've got time to read. <laughs> and my initial oh thought, my gosh, that's perfect. my thought in the moment was, well, yes, I'm reading and, and I enjoy reading and I want to read this book, but I'm also interviewing these folks. So I need, this is part of my job. You know, I, I need to read as part of work. And then Right there in the introduction, I think it was, you talk about like the idea of personal time being running errands, you know, and, and I was like, my gosh, they have just nailed everything right here with this statement. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. That's such a perfect example of the fairness fight around yes. free time. We're like, Reading for, wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I love this 80-80 idea, and I inadvertently had started doing something like this before coming across your book, and I didn't realize there was a term for it. Um, I had just been reading a lot more about um, kindness and doing things for other people and generosity and how it makes you feel better. So I was actively trying to work that into my daily life, and then your book comes across my desk, and I was like, wow, these people have found it. They've figured it out. So I'm so excited to talk to both of you about this book. Oh, yeah. Well, we are excited to so talk well. to you, John. <laughs> so let's, let's dive into, I guess, not so much the idea of 80-80, but let's take it back a little bit because I want people to understand what 80-80 means. So let's go back uh, quite a few years to this idea of like the 80-20 parenting, because that equals 100. People will recognize that a little bit better. 80-20. Talk about what 80-20 means. 
Yeah. So 80-20 is where we start the conversation. You want to think like 1950s, kind of Pleasantville. And really, this is the backdrop of a social context where women don't have the same opportunities in especially the work world that men do. That's just the world that they're living in. And so in that paradigm, women are responsible for 80% of the relationship, making sure that the house runs, the children are okay, and men are responsible for 20% of the relationship because they're spending most of their energy outside of the marriage at work. Now, while there are so many unfair things about this paradigm that thankfully started to get addressed as we saw, you know, women's liberation and some more of the fight for equal rights, the one benefit that was there is they were at least aligned as a team. Mm -hmm. So if you think 80-20, you go radically unjust, completely unfair, but at least a shared goal. Absolutely. And then it's kind of shifted from there. And I was actually trying to find the part in the book because I highlighted it, um, but where you talk about the, there was a book that was written kind of talking about the 80-20. And it's kind of maddening, but also fascinating to go back in time and look at the way some people's brains worked. And I know you you list some of the the things that women were supposed to do in the household here. And it's like, be a good listener. Let him tell you his troubles. Yours will seem trivial in comparison. And you just sort yeah. of think like there was actually a time period where people thought this and broadcasted it to other people. Yeah, it was really interesting, actually, when we were interviewing people for the book we tried to interview people from all walks of life. Sure. So progressive, same-sex couples, but also very conservative Christian couples. And we interviewed actually the head of marriage at Focus on the Family, uh, a very conservative Christian organization. What was really interesting is that nobody was supporting this idea of the 80-20 model. Mm. Even the most conservative Christian folks that we talked to they acknowledge that we're equals in marriage now. So it was really interesting that really as a culture, we've completely shifted out of this model. Now, that's not to say that there aren't lingering forms of inequality. There absolutely are. So we call that in the book, the hangover of 80-20. So even though nobody says they want to be in an 80-20 relationship, a lot of people still are because of the hangover of you know, women just doing more around the house and also doing more of the emotional labor and mental load. I always tell my wife, I would do 80-20. I'm happy to stay home. Just, you know, she can work and I'll stay home and take care of the kid and do it. That's fine with me. <laughs> yeah, actually, it was funny. We interviewed one conservative uh, Christian woman who talked about how he, she, she and her husband both interviewed for jobs. She got the better job and her husband was like, I'll stay at home. And that it was actually very difficult for her that she felt like her stay-at-home job was being taken away. And that was something she really had to work through. Yeah, it's interesting how everybody has to deal with things in a different way. So the 80-20, yeah. though, is behind us, and we've moved into sort of a 50-50 world. And for many people, that's doing an equal share of the work, but not necessarily. And that's kind of what you, why you guys talk about the 50-50 plan isn't maybe the best way to go about it. Yeah, I mean, I think if you think about the goal of this idea of 50-50 fairness, which is in the book, we say this is where we are now. The goal is good. The goal is to somehow figure out how to be equals and in love. And that was really our struggle for the first decade or so of marriage. We wanted to be equals. We wanted to have our own careers and ambitions, but we also wanted to be connected and in love. So we decided to go all in on this strategy of fairness and keeping score. And it turned out to be just a complete disaster 
and actually undermine the very thing we were trying to cultivate, which was both equality and love. It undermined equality because Kaylee was the over-contributor, I was the under-contributor. The more we talked about fairness and had these conversations, the less I wanted to do, frankly. So it created more inequality. But then it also, I think most importantly, drove us apart. You know, we were living in a condition of constant conflict and resentment. And so we realized that this technology of fairness, which seems like the right answer to how to be equals in love, is actually an incredibly clunky, outdated technology. And that's kind of what led us to this idea of, you know, maybe there's a better model of marriage for modern couples. And for us, that was the 80-80 marriage. And you address this in the book too, but it's tough because you, no matter how fair you think you're being or how equal you think you're being, there is still someone that's going to think, like I, I look at it as an example from my house. The other day we had to change the diaper trash bag in the baby's room and I, I didn't change it. So my wife came down and said, hey, you didn't get the trash bag. I said, well, yes, but I did the dishes. I did the laundry. I did, you know, So yes. I, and, I, and I started listing this laundry list of things that I took care of. And, and even though, even though I know she's still doing a lot in my head, I was like, you're going to get on me about this when yes. I've done every, you know, and, and it, it's hard. It is hard to escape that, that mindset sometimes. Completely. I love that example because what you're pointing to psychologists call availability bias, which is really just a fancy way of saying, I am intimately familiar with every single thing that I do. So I know every, you know, diaper pail empty and I know every load of laundry folded. I know everything that I do, every dishwasher. But when it comes to what Nate's doing, I'm pretty fuzzy. And the things that he's doing, for whatever reason, according to me, they look easier. So there's sort of this sense of like, it's gross to clean up, you know, this spill over here, but to help our kid get on Zoom school, like how hard could that really be? <laughs> so there's this sense of one, I know everything I'm doing. Two, my stuff seems either more important or harder. And then three, there's this overestimation that happens where I count what I'm doing more. And I think about it a little bit like how Calvin and Hobbes counts push-ups. So I don't know if you've seen the cartoon, but he's counting how his push-ups feel. So there's this sense of like one, two, 20, 100, <laughs> where that's how domestic labor and emotional labor and childcare often feel. And so every minute that I'm doing feels like two or 10. And so that's how I count it. You know, one thing that kind of broke my heart a little bit in the book was multiple times it was referenced that more women didn't think their male partners could hold up their end of the bargain or more women perceived that they did more than the men. And I know it's not a competition necessarily, but it was hard for me to hear that we still have these sort of old timey, typical gender stereotypes out there. Yeah, I think that's really true. I mean, if you look at the aggregate numbers, women tend to do more of the domestic labor and also more of the emotional labor. That's just a, a pretty hard fact. But what we found in interviewing about 100 people for this book is that there are so many different models of marriage now that even though that's the average, there are all sorts of situations like you may be in or a lot of the couples we interviewed where the over-contributor is sometimes the man. And, you know, in 31% of U.S. households right now, the woman makes as much or more money than the man and has the dominant career. So, you know, I think we're used to thinking about marriage from this gendered lens, you know, that's that's sort of cultivated by the, the stereotypes of the 1950s. But the truth is, 
there are so many different models of marriage. There's so much room for innovation and, and difference that there really is no single model of how to do this. It's hard to have a stereotype when you have so many different things to look through. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. So we have 80-20, we have 50-50, and then we have your proposal and your idea. And that's 80-80. So explain how this adds up and how it makes sense. Yeah. Well, so what we're measuring with these numbers is the spirit of contribution. So in 50-50, the spirit of contribution is just to that fairness line. Whereas in 80-80, the spirit of contribution is striving to do more, is striving to do 80%. Now, the math doesn't actually work. There is no such thing as a 160% whole, but that's kind of the point that in love, it would be unfortunate to be limited to just math. And so in 8080, the big idea is, can I strive to contribute with a spirit of radical generosity, which looks like, how do I do radically generous acts? What do I do? It's also about how do I approach the relationship? What do I see? And are the glasses that I'm wearing with my partner, those of what they're doing wrong, or rather those of appreciation, what they're doing right. And then there's the compliment, which is about the structure of the relationship. So if you start with the mindset of radical generosity, how do you implement that in the world? And that's really about shifting from these individual goals to instead aligning as a couple where you get clear on your values, what does success mean for us? And then experiencing that as a joint win. So you win together rather than just as individuals. That success is really shared. Mindset is such a big thing. And that's something that I've been trying to work on over the last year or so mindfulness and mindset, you know, instead of being really frustrated with your job and you wake up in the morning and you're like, I can't believe I have to go to work. You wake up and go, well, I get to go to work today. I get to do this today. And and it, it does sound kind of woo woo in a way, but if you can really train your brain to do it, it works. Do you guys have any tips for how to start training yourself to think this way? Cause it's going to be a shift for a lot of people. Absolutely. Well, you point to mindfulness and that's really my background. Yeah. I've been writing and in the mindfulness world for a long time. And there is an essential insight from mindfulness practice that I think can be really helpful here, which is in some ways, the whole game starts with noticing and awareness. So as you mentioned, most of us, we wake up and our default state is often to just let habits dictate the flow of our life. So we kind of run on autopilot. And many times those those habitual tendencies, especially in our mind, are not very skillful. So what we've been talking about here in the context of marriage is that for most of us, our default mindset in marriage is to do this scorekeeping, thinking about what's fair. So really that first step is to just notice that that's happening. And we still wrote this book. We're on like virtual book tour right now. And every single day, we have one or two thoughts or maybe more about how it's not fair. And so it's not about getting rid of those. It's just noticing, becoming aware of those thoughts. And then when we do, there's an opportunity there to choose a more skillful path and reorient the focus of our mind. In the case of the 80-80 marriage, what we like to do is to just either remind ourselves of the idea of radical generosity or 80-80, or one of the things Kaylee talks about a lot is when she feels things are unfair, she'll just think about what are the things Nate's been doing, right? To just remind herself of, of how I'm contributing. 
And so that's really the, the process of beginning to shift that mindset back to radical generosity when you're caught in fairness. I think that's a, a very important point, because as we kind of touched on earlier, your impression of what you do is so clear to yourself. You exactly. can count every single fork you washed in the dishes, but exactly. you don't know necessarily everything your partner has done. So just pausing and thinking, okay, in those three hours, you know, for me, in those three hours where my wife had the baby while I was finishing my morning show, she fed the baby, changed the baby, put, tried to put the baby down to sleep. She disagreed, but tried to put the baby down to sleep, you know, and you really have to stop and think, okay, it's not about the fact that I have the baby now while I'm still working. It's about thinking about all the different things my wife had already done today. Yes, completely. And I sometimes think about it like a scavenger hunt that you find what you're looking for. So if I go looking for all the ways that things are unfair or the ways that I did more, I will find them. Whereas if I go looking for the places where I'm like, oh my gosh, that was such a sweet contribution or that was so thoughtful or generous of you to get up at two o'clock in the morning with the baby or wow, it was so kind of you to know that I was running late and to have a couple things ready for me. If you're looking for the ways that your partner is awesome and contributing, you find those too. That is such a good way to put that, the scavenger hunt idea that I've, I haven't heard anybody else put it that way. And that is so smart because you're, you're so right. 110%. If you want something, if you're looking for it, you're probably going to find it one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. So let me play devil's advocate here. Let's say I'm all about 80, 80 and I'm all about jumping on board, but my wife maybe isn't. Okay. I am doing all this different radical generosity. I'm taking care of everything. I'm not looking for praise. I'm not, I'm not even bringing it up. I'm not mentioning all the things that I'm doing. There's going to come a point where if I don't feel like it's being reciprocated, I'm going to maybe be a little upset about it, or I'm, I'm going to want something more. How do you talk to couples that maybe find themselves in that position? It's such an important question. So important that we actually wrote a whole chapter called the reluctant partner. And there are really three different pieces, I think, to this question. So part number one is that if I'm the over-contributor, which is what you're describing, and I'm all in on 80-80, that if I bring it to my partner and they're like, meh, there's an opportunity in that moment to just do it for myself, that it's very probable that I'm still doing all the same things that I was doing before. The question is just my own experience. So. If I've been doing the dishes, I'm probably still going to do the dishes. But for myself, I get to decide, do I do each dish from that mindset or from that experience of resentment? And when I make dinner, I make so many fewer dishes. Mm. Or do I do those dishes from that mindset of radical generosity, which is a gift to me, that I am not flooding myself with cortisol or stress or resentment, that it's actually a gift to myself. There's a second piece though, which you're describing, which is, okay, I give myself all those great gifts, but there's a moment where I go, okay, wait a second, this doesn't feel good. That's where we really believe in this practice called reveal and request. That if you can go to your partner with a thoughtful, skillful, heartfelt request, hey, I read this book, The 8080 Marriage. I really want to give it a try. Will you read the pages that I flagged for you? And doing it from that space versus like, hey, slacker, it's time for you to read this book. Right? Which is completely demotivating totally as the other contributing part of it. Then I'm like, no. Uh, Hard pass. <laughs> right? But if you can come to your partner with the reveal of your own experience and a request where 
What I want is to make our relationship stronger. I want to feel more connected with you. That can create an incentive where you say, okay, I don't know if it'll work, but I'm willing to give it a try. The most extreme version of this, I think, is where you've made the request, your partner is still kind of lackluster about it. That's when I think it's worth doing the experiment of looking at your own pattern. And this one actually comes from my experience that early in our relationship, I was the over-contributor and I kept wanting me to do more. And we didn't Slacker. have the length, <laughs> radical generosity or 80-80 yet. But they were sort of this like, hey man, I'm doing everything. <laughs> so, but what I didn't recognize was that I had unconsciously set it up so that I did everything. And it was, again, it was unconscious, but for me, it was really about control. That if I was doing everything, then I knew everything and I controlled everything and things were done sort of quote unquote, right. <laughs> and it was only when I was willing to be helped, only when I was willing to let go of my own grip on control, that I could make space for there to be that reciprocity. And Kayla, you work in the corporate setting, right? Ew. I would yeah. imagine that that also goes into play in the corporate world, because I, I think of being a manager in an office. Sometimes it, it's really easy just to say, all right, I'm going to take this on because I know it's going to get done. I, I can't trust you guys to get it done right. I have this. But there comes a point where you do have to make sure you're distributing things to other people or you're going to go crazy. And being in a yeah. marriage is very similar. It, it's completely true. There's sort of um, either an article or something tickling the back of my brain that's, you know, what can corporate teams learn from the 80-80 marriage? But I think you've articulated it really beautifully that as a manager, as a teammate, as a co-founder, if I'm not willing to teach, to share, to let go of control, it's almost impossible that the person that you're working with is going to be able to do their best. Yeah. yeah the other thing I was just going to say that was really interesting in writing this book we noticed this thing that we called the delegate, resent, explode cycle, yeah. which is another corporate overlay. And it really has to do with the way you're engaging your partner. So for us, again, Kaylee, when we got married, 26, she was an adult. I was living in graduate student housing. I was like cleaning my apartment once every year or maybe twice a year. I was definitely not an adult. So we fell into this pattern. But the way that the request came was almost like she was the CEO and I was the direct report. And it created this cycle of all sorts of resentment. And for me, it felt like, you know, this is kind of like when I was working at Domino's Pizza and I had a manager who's telling me to go break down the boxes in the back. Just as I kind of hated my manager and didn't want to do anything he told me, I developed the same attitude toward Kaylee, where it was like, oh, you want me to clean the grill? I'm on that. Never did it. Right? So... <laughs> So we realized, though, that there's a shift that's really important from this kind of CEO direct report relationship, which, again, great in the office, not great in marriage, to more of a co-CEOs mm -hmm. of our family organization where we're trying to win together so that it's not about delegation. It's more about how do we divide up the structure of our life intentionally and with skillful design. Kaylee, I don't see you as Domino's. I see you more as Papa John's. Thank you. Yeah, Papa I, John's all the way. <laughs>
Totally. <laughs> uh, for, for you guys, when you started making this shift, because you wrote this book, I imagine if it's out now that you probably turned it in almost a year ago. So you've been working on this for a little while. Uh, what's right. been the hardest thing for you guys to work into your own personal? Because now you're not just a couple that has kids that works. To, you're working. You're writing a book together. That's yeah. a whole different level of stress on top of everything else. You, you have named it and your timeline is actually exactly right too. So turning in the book, right as the initial sort of you know, stay at home orders are put in place where you know, we were sanitizing the outside of our salad bags because we didn't know, you know, kids sent home from school. And so I think there are a couple pieces that were really hard. One was we pressure tested these ideas in a world where all of our expectations were completely out the window, where all of our patterns had been sort of scrapped. And so really putting all of these ideas in such an intense environment, I think actually gave some confidence that they work. I will say for me, the hardest piece of 8080 on an ongoing basis is that I love completion. And so there's this sense of, I want to sit down together. I want to write out our values. I want to have them like established forever, our roles clear. And that's just not how real life works. And so coming back to, okay, what's this chapter about? We didn't work together until this book. And so getting realigned about what does shared success mean for this chapter so that we know that we're sort of always pointed in the same direction is a piece that I have to keep coming back to, keep coming back to with intentionality. For me, I would say the most difficult part of living this 8080 practice, because it really is a practice versus a set of ideas, is those inevitable moments. And we've been experiencing this over the last few weeks where life just gets totally chaotic, totally crazy and compressed, right? So for us, we've been preparing for a book launch. Meanwhile, our school went from in-person to half day because they didn't have enough teachers. Our daughter broke her wrist. There was a hummingbird that was chipping away at the side of our house as we were going to sleep every night, right? Like these inevitable moments of life just happening and creating utter chaos. I find that that sends me back into that pattern of fairness because it's chaotic and it's crazy. And if I'm the one taking our daughter to the orthopedist to get her splint off, I just find myself falling back into this pattern of, you know, it's not fair. Those are the moments where I feel like I have to bring extra attention and a little bit more supercharged mindfulness to the situation and come back to that idea of radical generosity, that we are in this together we are going to win this game together. And it's in both of our interests for our daughter to have a splint on her arm and to recover and not have a broken wrist, right? Like this is one for the team. This is not a win for me at her expense or a win for her at my expense. I do think that this book is coming at a good time. And I know we just talked about how you submitted it a year ago before the pandemic yeah. was even, you know, something we were really thinking about. And I've talked to a few different authors that have been in that position. And some of them have said they wish that they had still had time to work on the book because they would have changed some of the things that went into it. But I think with your book, it's a great opportunity for couples who have maybe lived the last year in a much more stressful environment or a different yeah. environment. And, and now it's been a year. So I think the stress is even in a different place. There's just fatigue and everything going into the, the situation we've been in that the 80-80 marriage can be a refresher, can be a way to kind of look at things from a different perspective and go, okay, the last year has sucked. We're going to embrace that. <laughs> and we're going to look forward to how we can get out of this in a different place. 
Totally. Love that. Yeah. She used the 8080 model as a way to navigate however long this sort of final piece of the pandemic might be, but also as a reset. I love that framing so that as you start this next cha next chapter of your life, you can do so with a mindset and a structure that really serves you both. And look, I mean, I told you at the beginning, I picked this up and I opened it up right in front of my wife to start reading. And she looked at the cover and was like, are you reading a marriage help book? Like, do we need to talk uh -huh. about this? I don't look at it like that. I don't look at this as like, a, wow, our marriage is on the rocks. It's terrible. I think it's just a different mantra and maybe a better way to serve each other, you know, uh, in a more positive way than we were. Yes. And I, what I love is, you don't wait until your car breaks down yes. to change the oil. And so right. think about this as well care. Think about this as, wow, there are some tools and some ideas that we can supercharge our marriage with rather than waiting until you're sort of broken down on the side of the road. Totally. For sure. So guys, I know I'm running out of time with you. Where can people go if they want to find out more information about the 8080 marriage? Absolutely. So our website is 8080marriage.com. We're at 8080marriage on Instagram and Facebook. And the book is available pretty much everywhere. Amazon, you know, all the major retailers. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much, Nate Klemp and Kaylee Klemp. The book is The 8080 Marriage, A New Model for a Happier, Stronger Relationship. You guys have some great work here, really awesome advice. And I honestly think it's fairly simple to work into your life. And I think it'll make people a lot happier. So thank you for all of this. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you for having us. Big thank you to Nate Klemp and Kaylee Klemp for sharing some time with me today. The 8080 Marriage is a great book and a wonderful philosophy, one that I would suggest to anyone in a relationship right now. And it's one that I think we're going to start working on a lot more in my house as well. And thank you to all of you for listening today. I appreciate you sharing some time in your day to listen. Until next week, be well.